Well, it's an exciting thing to say. Merry Christmas, Hope Ottawa. Merry Christmas on this second week of Advent. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. Isaiah 9, 2 to 7. And if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need it. This is called Hope Bible Church for a reason, okay? You're going to need a copy of God's Word. And so if you don't have one, the ushers in the back here are going to come around. Put your hand up. Okay, we would love to put a copy of God's word in your hand if you need it. And if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have a Bible at home, then you keep that. That is our gift to you so that you can be in God's word. So you can be reading God's word daily. Okay, those of you online, if you have a Bible, turn there now. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you, do whatever you need to do. Open Bible Hub, click on ESV, that's the translation we'll be using, and navigate to Isaiah chapter 9. So, with only two weeks, this was a shock to me too, with only two weeks to go until Christmas, be honest with me, church, is anyone... Is anyone kind of feeling the Christmas crunch time? Right? The shopping squeeze? Are you feeling the pinch of preparation? That's the end of my alliteration, I promise. It's, but it's coming. It's coming quick. Right? If you're like me, you've got all kinds of preparations to do. Right? You've got all kinds of preparations to make. You've got decoration preparations. You've got, you've got gift preparations. You've got all kinds of meal preparations, travel preparations. The preparations go on and on and on. And really the only reason the preparations seem to end is because one day you're like, hey, it's December 1st. I should probably really start preparing. Maybe you're even more prepared than that. Maybe you're not like me and you're more like my wife who actually prepares quite a long time in advance. And that is such a blessing. But, but really, church, be honest, the only time the preparation ends is because one day you're like, yeah, it's December 1st, I better start. And then all of a sudden, it's Christmas and you better be ready. That's the only reason it ends. We get so caught up in other priorities, right? We get so caught up in other people's priorities for us the world's priorities for us, what Christmas should look like, right? We get so caught up that we miss the greatest priority. We can often miss it. And it's, it's actually the priority that, that we were created for. It's the priority that our hearts long for, the priority of Jesus Christ. You see, the purpose of Advent, as, just as we learned last week, the purpose of Advent, this lead up, it's preparation, that's, that's the purpose of it. That's why we have this series. That's why we have the, the theology of Advent, okay? It's, it's the preparation to prepare our hearts to celebrate that Jesus Christ has come. You see, the word Advent, it literally means arrival or, or to come, okay? The English word we get that from is, is the Latin ad, which is to, and ventus, which is to arrive or to come, but in Christian theology, specifically, what we use that word for is this. It has two meanings, right? We say there's the first and the second advent. The first being this, that Christ has come. Today in Isaiah, we're going to see a prophecy predicting Christ's arrival. But in our day and age, it, this is 2,000 years of history now. Christ has come. And the second advent is this. He promises that he is coming again soon. Christ has come and he will come soon. You see, Christmas is all about Jesus. 
So let's prepare for him. We need to prepare because, listen to this, you know it and I know it, we need to prepare because sin distorts the hope, the peace, the love, the joy that is available in Jesus. We need to prepare because as we heard last week from Isaiah 40, we need to prepare because preparation is the path to revelation. Right? Our preparation, that's the path for our heart to revelation. What revelation is that? It's God revealed in Christ Jesus. You see, everything that Jesus did, Jesus being fully God himself, every action of his is the action and character of God revealed. Every word we have of Jesus recorded in scripture, he's, he is God. Those words are the very word of God in, in Jesus, God revealed himself to us in the most thorough way that, that he ever did. And we have that now in scripture. It takes a lot of strong and courageous faith to step away from the world's priorities for us and to focus on Christ. The world has so many priorities for us, so many essentials, right? So many, you must have this at Christmas or it isn't really even Christmas, we need to step away from the world's priorities for us. So the question is this, is your priority this Christmas, is it your traditions? Is it your family travel plans? Like these can be good things. It's good to spend time with family. It's good to prepare. But, but is that the highest priority you have? Is your priority your traditions or is it Christ? And what if all of the traditions you have of Christmas, what if all of your, your practices and plans for Christmas, what if, what if all of those expectations that are put on you at Christmas, what if they're actually distracting you from the real reason for Christmas, the purpose of Christmas? See, the four weeks of Advent are themed hope, as we saw last week, peace, as we see this week, and Lord willing, love and joy, as we'll see in the weeks to come. We heard last, why, last week why the purpose of Christmas is hope. And along with that, that is true. And I want to encourage you this week, church, the purpose of Christmas is peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And what's the result of Christ's peace? This, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, everyone's looking for peace. Our world is fraught. That, that, that's one of the most common words we hear on the news. If this, then we'll have peace, right? Everybody's looking for peace, but the problem that you and I face right now in this moment, and in each and every one of the days ahead of us is this. We, we so often look to the things of this world the techniques of this world, the people of this world to bring it to us. And the result of that we see all around us. It's anxiety, it's fear, fighting, anger, division. The result of, of seeking the world's methods of peace, the result is the opposite, it's division. You see, the one person that Satan wants you to be distracted from at Christmas the one person right now that Satan wants you to be distracted from is Jesus. It doesn't matter what you're distracted by. It could, be, it could be all your preparations, distracted by preparing, distracted by all the busyness of this season, 
right? Distracted by shopping, distracted by, I want this, I want that, where's my Christmas wish list? Distracted by all of these things, right? It doesn't matter what you're distracted by, just so long, so long as you're distracted from the only one who can actually bring you true peace. So long as you're distracted from Jesus, whose name we'll see here in our text today revealed is literally the Prince of Peace. That's when, when, when Jesus reveals himself, he so often chooses to do it in revealing a name. He says, I am called, right? I can be called. And, and in our text today, we're going to see that, that Jesus reveals himself as the prince of peace, the royalty, the royal authority of peace. The world's definition of peace is, is often, this is, this is from uh, Webster's Dictionary, is this. It's defined as a state of security or order within a community. It's a very small view of peace, right? A state of, of security or order within a community. So you, like the world says peace is because none of us are, I presume, are fighting right now. I don't see fists moving. So presumably this is the world's definition of peace right here. I'm very glad that we have that right now, but that is a very small view of peace. That's a view of peace that we know at best in this world is temporary. You see, the peace offered by Jesus Christ is this. It is a lasting peace. It's an eternal peace because it's the eternal comfort of forgiveness of sin and a restored relationship with God. The restored relationship with God that is peace that lasts. The big idea of our text today is this. this is, write this down. This is the big takeaway right here that I want you to see today. It's this. Peace is only found in Jesus. So trust in him alone for it. Nothing else will bring peace. Nothing else. From our text today, I trust you'll see this truth in three truths about Jesus Christ and how in him alone we can live each day and each moment in the steadfast and eternal peace that he offers to all who believe in him. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what, what distractions you're facing, this eternal peace is offered to all who believe in Jesus Church, would you stand with me and let's read together from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 to 7. We stand to honor the authority of God's word. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light on those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. On them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it, 
with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord, church. Amen? Amen. Amen. May be seated. Peace is only found in Jesus, so trust in him alone for it. Now, you might have noticed in our reading, we left out verse 1. Okay, we left it out because in, in, in the original Hebrew manuscripts and in many Hebrew translations, that verse 1 is actually left as part of chapter 8. Right? And you can see why in modern translations, it's included as verse 1 of chapter 9. If you look at it, you can see why. It's kind of the transition between the warning and then the promise, okay? So that's the only reason we leave it out. Every word in here is inspired by God. This is all valuable. It is all the word of God. The chapter and verse delineations, those are a helpful human addition later, just so that we can find scripture, find what we're referring it to, okay? The words of God are inspired, the chapters and the verse numbers, that's a helpful like address system. That's, that's the postal code, okay? So let's get our historical bearing here from our text. Where are we in history? Okay? At this point in history, God's people, right, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, are divided into two kingdoms. They're divided, as we saw last week when Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 40 was to Judah, the southern kingdom. You'll see up in the north there, Israel, that's the northern kingdom, and that's who Isaiah is addressing in chapter 9. Now, Israel is walking in all kinds of disobedience at this time in their history. They're walking away from the Lord. They're, they're in disobedience and idol worship. They're living in sin. And much worse, they're rejoicing in it. They're encouraging each other in it. Right? Worship your gods. Worship whatever you want to worship. Find your own individual truth. Do whatever feels right to you. I'm sure none of us can relate to any of that at all from our world today um, because, you know, we've invented something new that isn't just the same old thing repeated. Israel is in ongoing conflicts with the Assyrian Empire. They're to the north of Israel, Okay. And Isaiah has just prophesied in chapter 8 of the eventual fall of Israel and the conquering of Israel by the Assyrians, right? And this actually happened very shortly after, maybe 10 or 15 years after this prophecy was written is when this happened. But this prophecy doesn't end here in chapter 8. You see, chapter 8 shows us there will be consequences for Israel, for their disobedience. But in our text today, we'll see God never leaves us hopeless. God doesn't leave them hopeless, in our text today, we see that hope would come in the form of peace from Jesus Christ. Peace from the promised Messiah who would give far more than worldly peace between warring earthly kingdoms. This is the hope of eternal peace from the one who would pay the eternal penalty for our sins and bring us peace with God himself. This peace has come. Church, this, this scripture right here, it has been fulfilled. His name is Jesus. Peace has a name. He offers forgiveness of sin. He offers peace with God for all who believe in him. Peace is only found in Jesus. So trust in him alone for it. And today, church, we're going to prepare our hearts to celebrate this, that peace has come. His name is Jesus. He is our presence of peace. He is the very presence of peace. 
A question for you, church. Peace is only found in Jesus, so will you draw near to him for it? Verse 2 to 3 says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You see, people here, when it says the people who walked in darkness, it's Israel here. But we're going to see that in, in the context of this, it's, it's, it's open for all people. Right? It's true of all people. The people who walked in darkness. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've never actually accidentally walked somewhere. I've accidentally fallen while walking. I've definitely accidentally tripped while walking, but I've never accidentally walked. You see, walking is intentional. Right? You actively walk. It's not a passive thing. And so what does it say about the people of Israel that's true for us today? The people who walked in darkness, actively pursuing darkness, the absence of light, stumbling around in unknown fear. You see, just like the people of Israel here, all people who don't know God walk in darkness, away from the light of his life that he gives. We actively pursue darkness. But the prophecy says, one day the people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light, the light of the glory of God. In his mercy, which we don't even deserve, we don't even deserve his mercy, even when we're pursuing, actively walking, sometimes running towards darkness, God shines the light of his grace upon us. You see in verse 3 here, it says, For you have multiplied the nation. You have multiplied the nation. The people walking in darkness, it's not just Israel. You see the word there for the nation? The Hebrew word for that is hag-goy. Hag meaning the, and goy meaning peoples, just peoples in general. It refers to Hebrews and non-Hebrews alike. You see in Isaiah here, we see that God's plan for salvation, it's not just to the Hebrew people. God had a plan from all time to extend salvation to us all represented here. I don't know if any of you here are, are Jewish. I'm certainly not. And, and many of us aren't. This promise is for us. This promise is talking about us long before that was even understood by Israel. You see, the word here doesn't mean Israel. It means all people. And what has happened you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy, specifically a delight in God. That's the joy here. You say, it says here, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You see, you don't divide the spoil unless you reap the harvest. In a, in a battle, you don't divide the spoil unless you have victory. The joy, the joy in chapter 9 we see is that God promises that he will have victory. He has victory over sin. So imagine yourself now, you got to put yourself in this. Imagine yourself as one of the Israelites here. In chapter 8, you've been told in no uncertain terms that Assyria will conquer you and your people. Right? We're past the fear of the unknown here. Right? We're way past the fear of the unknown. Um, you've been told exactly what's coming and it's dreadful. You see, the Assyrian 
people, the Assyrian army, are, are known for the depth of their brutality. Okay? Just like Italy is known for really good coffee and pasta, and Canada is known for maple syrup and questionable uh, you know, politicians and things like that, it's, 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 we're, we're known. We have a reputation, right? We're known for these things. We're known for moose and beavers and all of that. Those are kind of good things to be known for, especially the maple syrup, I think. Like, that is our national identity, for sure. The Assyrians are known for their brutality, like, the Roman Empire may have perfected a lot of torture methods. The Assyrians invented them. So you know that this is coming. You know that this is coming, but, but you also have this. You have everything in Scripture before this point. You have every record of, of God in history redeeming his people. If they just turn back to him and repent of their sins, right? And despite this, what, what we see in chapter 8, if you go back and read it, we see that despite knowing that they can, they can just turn to God and live, what do they choose? They choose to consult their mediums, their sorcerers, their magicians, their idols, anyone but the one true God who can bring them peace. You see, but God has a plan. His plan is never thwarted. In his grace, he still reveals what will happen what will come to pass, he reveals that no darkness can overcome his pursuing light. No darkness can overcome it. Now, it's easy to look, look back at, at Israel here and, and just shake your head and be like, Israel, you, you've seen, you have all of this rich history of God redeeming you. You can shake your head at Israel, but so often, I mean, we have that plus all of the revealed scripture in history. And how often are we any different from Israel? So I, I promise I'm going something, somewhere with this. I, I really love being in the forest. Okay, I love it. I love hiking in it. I love building trails in the forest. I love working in the forest. I, I, like if it was Disneyland or like go cut a trail in the forest, I'm, t I'm choosing the forest every time, okay? I'm choosing the forest every time. I love hunting in the forest. I love everything. I just really like being in the forest. When it's daylight, right? When it's daylight, you can maneuver pretty well, even in thick bush, right? You can see where your feet are going. You can see your way forward. But a funny thing happens long before it's dark. Long before it's dark, what happens? Dusk comes, it starts coming. And if you've been outside all day, if you've been in it all day, you often don't even actually really realize that it's happening. You don't notice that, it, that, that the dusk is coming. Things just slowly get a little less clear, right? One minute you're walking along fine, and then you realize you're getting hit in the face with sticks a lot more that you don't see coming, or you're pushing branches down and they spring back up in your face and you're not seeing this. You slowly realize you start to trip over a lot more things, roots and stumps, You see, but I found that it can be subtle, but once you really notice it's happening, once you really notice dusk is coming, it comes very quickly. The dark comes very quickly after. And once full darkness comes, you can end up caught out in it. Now, if you're planning to be out in the dark, right? If you're planning to be out, outside at night, you, you prepare for it, right? You prepare you bring a light. You don't go camping and just say, yeah, it's going to get dark and I know I'm going to just be lost. And I'll stand there, I guess, until the light comes. 
Right? You prepare yourself for it. You don't do nothing about it, but when it comes to sin in our lives, how often do we just choose darkness or accept there's just going to be darkness because I'm making this choice? How often do we choose darkness over light? Weekly, daily, hourly? For sure, it's, it's moment by moment that we have to choose which way we go. The darkness of sin can come in many forms. Right? Maybe it's a very obvious, like either the light switch is off or on. It's a very obvious black and white temptation that's in front of you. A temptation you know full well is wrong, or maybe, maybe it's more subtle. Maybe like the dusk, it's one compromise after another compromise that leads to another. And before you even realize, it's dark all around. And the night has come and you haven't prepared with the light. You see, it doesn't have to be this way, church. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he is your light in the darkness. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he sends his Holy Spirit to guide you toward the light in any situation. There is no situation where, where he isn't and where there isn't guidance towards the light. And not only does he guide you, he gives you the strength to walk toward the light, the strength to overcome the temptation of sin. You see, peace is only found in Jesus Christ. Will you draw near to him? What are the things that are keeping you from drawing near to Christ right now and preparing your heart for peace in this season? Is it Christmas preparations? Busyness? Just busyness? Putting other priorities before God? Is it unchecked sin, that idolatry of where, where you, what are you placing as more important than God? Is it impatience, loving the darkness of sin more than the Savior who has overcome it? Church, have you ever had any lasting peace from any of these things? Like they promise so much. Sin always promises so much and always, always woefully underdelivers and leaves you peaceless. Believers, what next steps do you need to do to take today to draw near to Jesus in this season? To draw near to God more in prayer, being in the word more, growing in your obedience to it, removing distractions, repenting of sin. What is it? What is it that you need to do this season? Or maybe you're here and you, you think you're fine on your own. Maybe you believe that you don't need Jesus Christ as your savior. Maybe you believe that, that you can find peace in these worldly things, a peace that will last. But loved one, hear the word of the Lord. This, this is true. Peace is only found in Jesus. You must draw near to him for it. It's the only place you'll find peace. Here's why. As we've just seen from scripture, he's the very presence of peace Jesus Christ himself is peace. And along with this, only Jesus is our path to peace. You see, peace is only found in Jesus' church. Will you follow him? Will you follow his path? His path to peace is well lit. It has no stumps or roots to trip on. His peace is true lasting peace. Are you on that path? Are you following him? Verses four to six say this. 
For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Church, don't let your familiarity with this verse remove how true and necessary it is for you. Okay? Let's go back to the word. It says this, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, it says here in, in verse four, the yoke, the staff, the rod, this, this is the power of sin. This is the oppression of Israel, but this is true of us today, the power of sin. And what does it say that this Messiah that we're, we're looking forward to in this verse, the Messiah that we look forward to celebrating at Christmas, what does it say about him? This yoke and staff and rod, they have been broken, overcome, defeated, Jesus, this Messiah, he overcomes sin. And for us today, he has overcome sin. And he will return again soon to complete the work and call us home. To call us home to it. Sin is already defeated. This time that we have now is for his grace in that to go forward, to be able to, to share the good news of this being fulfilled and to have the Holy Spirit save others also. That's the purpose of this time right now. That's why he has come and that's why he has given us the will come because this interim period is God's grace and mercy on us. The power of sin has been overcome. It has been defeated and the, the illustration that Isaiah uses here is this. You have broken the sin, right? You have broken it as on the day of Midian. Well, what's the day of Midian? Well, some 400 years before this passage was written, right? In Judges chapter seven, we, we see God has shown, this is a perfect illustration because it shows that the power of sin is broken, but it's God who has won the battle, 400 years or so before this, God shows that he's the one who wins the battle. You see, Gideon started with 22,000 men, 22,000 fighters. And through a series of, of God's uh, whittling down and, and showing Gideon how he was going to win the battle, how God was going to win the battle, God told him to take only 300 men not 300 men with, you know, all of the best tactics and swordsmanship and weapons all strapped around them and everything. Not, three, not 300 strapped men ready for battle. No, 300 men equipped with the most vicious of weapons, trumpets, jars, and torches. For a barbecue, I assume. <laughs> no, to defeat the vast army of Midian. Because God wins the battle. He threw the army of Midian into disarray and they ended up killing themselves. And all that was left for Gideon was to pursue, to pursue their retreat. You see, God is the one who wins the victory. God is the one who has won the victory over sin and offers that, that prize of belief in Jesus Christ and peace in him, peace with God, it's, it's God who offers that to us today. 
You see, it was true that God wins the victory in 1200 BC when God gave the Midian army over to Gideon. It was true in 740 BC here or today where we see this prophecy coming and it's still true today. God is the one who wins the battle. Verse five, look at your Bibles. It says, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood, it'll be burned as fuel for the fire. These boots, these garments, they'll be burned. You see, when the Messiah comes, when the light comes, there will be nothing darkness can do. There will be nothing sin and evil can do. When this Messiah comes, right, which he came 2,000 years ago, when this Messiah comes, there will be nothing sin and evil can do to overcome God's victory over death. You see, even Satan's most evil weapon of death, when it was turned on Jesus Christ, what did it lead to? It led to death's very defeat. Death's very defeat And our very salvation, when the Messiah comes, the enemy will be defeated and he will bring with him lasting, eternal, unshakable peace. Church, this is exciting news. What a magnificent warrior. I can't wait to go uh, on in scripture here. What a magnificent warrior this Messiah is promised to be, right? With power to utterly destroy the enemy, Right? How, we need to see this. How do, we, how do we get on his side? How do we earn a spot with him? Can we even earn a spot with him? Who is this Messiah? Let's read further in, chat, in verse six when we see his character revealed. What does it say? It says, for us, uh, what does it say? To, to, to us, a mighty noble warrior from royal upbringing and wealth. I assume he's got to have wealth and big houses. This, this is the Messiah, Right? My Bible doesn't say this. Check yours. This Messiah is revealed. For to us a child is born. All this talk of victory. And the narrative takes a very unexpected turn. Unexpected on a, on a human level. God's plan is perfect. And I'm very, very glad that he doesn't do things my way. Because my way would fail. And God's way is perfect. You see, God does things his perfect way. God's perfect plan for a savior wasn't at all the human conqueror that we would expect. It wasn't at all the human warrior that even the Jews of Jesus' day expected him to be. They not only in their hearts expected, but they like officially expected him to be a mighty human warrior. You see, God's perfect plan for salvation was the meekness of a baby in Jesus of Nazareth. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son, right? A son. This is God incarnate. Incarnate means taking on flesh, becoming flesh. To us, a son is earned. No, that's not right. To us, a son is given freely as a gift. There's nothing we can do to earn a spot on his side. All of our acts in our, in our sinfulness, all of our acts are just sinful. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that we have access to this forgiveness and this peace. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given 
as a gift. And the government, that's the authority, shall be upon his shoulder. It doesn't say might. It doesn't say will eventually. It shall. That's a guarantee. It will be. It shall be upon his shoulder. What do we see in Scripture? In Scripture here, often when God reveals more about himself, he reveals it in a name. He says, I can be called Right? And he uses a name for himself as a way to accurately describe him. And he gives us four amazing, beautiful names that reveal the truth of who he is. That reveal the truth of who he is even more intimately than he has revealed himself in scripture up to this point. This is the most intimate revealing that God has given in a prophecy to this point. I believe this. Look at these four names these aren't just words on, on a page. This is God giving himself a description so that we can know him more because God is personal. He's not unknowable. There's much that he's so great we can never know everything about him, but he is not unknowable. He is imminent to us. He can be known. These words that he uses, these names he uses to describe himself, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful counselor. You see, the role of a counselor is to lead you to peace, right? That's what a counselor does, leads you to peace. God has blessed us with earthly counselors who, if they are faithful, they can point us to Jesus Christ, who is the source of peace, right? But earthly counselors and every other means that we try to fill our lives with, they can't ultimately bring us the peace we're longing for. It's only if we have Jesus Christ that we can be pointed to that peace. Jesus Christ is the source of ultimate peace, the peace of forgiveness, of salvation, of eternity with him if we believe in him. You see, the word wonderful here, when it says wonderful, that can, that's, that's, that's the best translation. A way to understand it, it can also be translated as this, supernatural. Supernatural counselor. A faithful human counselor can point you to Christ. But only God, only Jesus Christ himself is the supernatural counselor who brings supernatural peace. Question, church, what counselors, what advice, what sources of wisdom are you turning to for ultimate peace? Because if it isn't the wonderful counselor, it will always be inadequate. If you're not seeking sources of wisdom that point you to the supernatural counselor, it will not, it will not result in ultimate peace. It will always let you down. He's called wonderful counselor. Another way he reveals himself is this mighty God. You see, Jesus took on human form to be born as a human child and in so doing, he revealed more of himself to us than all of the Old Testament books looked forward to and spoke about. In Jesus Christ, God has been revealed the most fully to us because he took on flesh to relate with us. Right? To relate with us. You see, he wasn't just a man. He wasn't just human. He didn't become just human. Right? He, he wasn't just another prophet. He was not just a good man, maybe even the best man who, who earned his way to godhood. This is absolutely false. 
He was and is and always will be God himself, fully God, and in that moment, fully man as well. Mighty in power. He is mighty God, mighty in authority, mighty in mercy, mighty in grace, mighty in love. He is our mighty God. Look at the text. What's the next name? The next way he reveals himself to us? Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. You see, he's eternal before all time and after all time. Christ was not created. There was no point where Christ wasn't and then he was. Christ was not created. He wasn't created when he was born. He always was. He became also human to reveal himself to us and to defeat our sin. Everlasting Father. And we see this. The last name he gives himself in this prophecy is the Prince of Peace. This is, this is royal peace with authority. He brings peace with authority over everything that brings unrest. Everything that takes away peace, he has authority over. He is the Prince of Peace. This is something no earthly king or ruler can ever bring about. You see, there's no path to peace that they can ever give that truly leads us there. You know, we say, oh, if we only had like a, a two-state solution in Israel, that would bring peace, right? That would bring lasting peace until the next subgroup gets upset, until the next group isn't f- pursuing God, and then, then there's, there's no peace and it fails, right? Oh, if we could only stop Russian aggression in Ukraine, then we would have peace, right? Then we would have peace. Earthly peace through earthly means doesn't last. If we only just had a little bit more division in society, we've been pursuing these uh, hyper-aggressive, progressive policies for, what, 60, 70 years in North America. Has that led to peace? I see that it's led to more division. It's it's driven more wedges between people than, than ever. If we could just, yeah, if we could just divide people a little bit more, that'll bring peace. That'll bring a lasting peace. Look, we won't find it there. We can't find it there. You see, peace is found in Jesus Christ alone. He's the only source of peace. You see, peace is only found in Jesus. Will you follow him? Will you follow his path to peace? Jesus is the only path to peace and salvation. There's no other way. There's no other way to peace. Will you keep trying down your own dark, unlit, potholed, root-strewn, tripping path in your own strength, trying in your own way, your own will, trying to be good enough, trying to earn enough favor, trying to even just get anywhere without the light of life that Jesus Christ is? Stop running, church. Stop running in the darkness of sin and turn toward the light of forgiveness freely available to all who believe in Jesus Christ. You see, he is the wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor over anxiety, over worry, over the cares of this world. What what empty paths are you looking for peace on that ultimately lead to dead ends? He's our mighty God with all power and authority over sin, over death, 
over kings, over conflicts, over all rulers of this world? Who are you looking to for power that only God has? Church, who are you looking to, to to save you? Who are you looking to for the power that only God has, that's only available in Jesus Christ? He's our everlasting father from eternity past to forevermore. He is steadfast. This world is, is shaking uncontrollably and he is steadfast. He is unwavering. This world is tossed to and fro on waves of fear and uncertainty. He is unwavering. He is trustworthy. There's no other stable rock to place your hope in than Jesus Christ because he is our prince of peace. The prince of peace over fear, over chaos, over rulers of this world who promise peace but can never deliver. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's a gift, right? That's a gift. We've been justified by the gift of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, peace has come. He has a name. His name is Jesus. He is the very presence of peace imminent with us. He is our path to peace. He is the way to get there. He is our peace with us now, and he's the way to get to peace. And our final point for today, I trust that you'll see from verse 7 this. He is our promised peace. It's not just a way. It's not just a hope. It's a promise, a guarantee. Jesus Christ is our guarantee, our promise of peace. You see, peace is only found in Jesus, but will you trust in him alone for it? Let's read verse seven. Read along with me in your Bibles. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see of the increase here, that that word can also mean the vastness. Not only is it growing, it's reaching, right? The increase of his government, that's his authority, Right? And the increase of peace, the vastness of peace, right? there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. You see, the promise that God made to King David many, many years before. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you want to read it, and I encourage you to. This is a promise that the Savior would come after David from his family line. This promise to David has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Just as this promise here from Isaiah and all of his character has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The promise has been fulfilled. The the throne of David and over his kingdom. It's more than just the kingdom of Israel. Remember in verse 3 where we saw that the word the nation. The nation means far more than just Israel. It means all people because God had a plan to save you and me before we were ever even born. He knew us and he chose that if we believe in Jesus, we would be saved over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it. You see, 
Just as Jesus establishes and upholds all of creation, establish means create, uphold means to sustain. Jesus is the creator of all things and actively right now giving me the breath to say this, sustaining me to say this, sustaining you to hear it. He is actively establishing and upholding his kingdom with justice and righteousness, true justice. That word gets thrown around a lot today, justice. If we can have justice, right? It gets thrown around a lot. It's a good desire. It is. It's a very good desire. It's a righteous desire for there to be justice. But who are you looking to for ultimate justice? Don't be fooled, loved ones. Having true justice means having true peace. And Christ is the only one who can provide it. It says with justice and with righteousness. You see, Christ's judgment is always just because he is perfectly righteous, perfectly sinless, and perfectly good. And how do we see this coming about? It comes about by God himself. It says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord is God's power for God's glory. It is the power of God for the glory of God. Nothing, church, nothing can fight against it. You see, in Israel's disobedience, God is still working. In Israel's rebellion, God is still fulfilling his promises. Even when the world seems dark, the world seemed very dark to anyone left faithful in Israel. Right? They knew that they were living in a time of sin, a time of rebellion against God. We can look around us today and see that the world isn't pursuing God as we see it, right? As we see it. But trust me, Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. You see, darkness has no power. In true darkness, darkness is just the absence of light. Darkness is not a substance. It's not a thing. Any light always displaces darkness. Just as there's no such thing as cold, it's just the absence of heat. Darkness is the absence of light. Come to Jesus. But in, in, even in Israel's rebellion, you see just as today, God is still fulfilling his promises. In Israel's coming defeat, God's perfect plan for victory is still not hindered. It's not even stalled. And it's certainly not stopped. You see, the same promise of peace given to God's people in our scripture today in Isaiah, this is still true for us today. Look back at the text. What does it say? It says, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. It doesn't say from this time forth and until Assyria is defeated. It doesn't say from this time forth and until Judah and Israel are a united kingdom again. It says from this time forth and forevermore, God is increasing his kingdom. God is increasing his vastness of peace. And we look forward to the day when Christ comes again, when he returns and establishes that peace permanently forever for all who believe in him. From this time forth and forevermore. You see, Jesus is God's perfect plan for peace. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus is God's perfect plan 
for peace. Peace is only found in Jesus. Will you trust in him alone for it? Church, who will you trust in when the news is pushing you to despair? Right? When the news is promising peace but keeping you in the fear that keeps you watching? Right? When the news is pushing you to despair and when things seem like they're falling apart, God is in control. Who will you trust in when you look around and all you can see is division, anger, injustice? Will you turn to the one from whom all justice and righteousness flows? Church, who will you trust in when the stress of planning and preparation of this season is distracting you from the one who came to save you? Will you turn your heart to him? Church, who will you trust in when there's sorrow for a loved one who isn't around your table this year? Will you turn to the everlasting father who loves you? Will you run into his arms? Will you draw near to Jesus as the very presence of peace right now? Will you follow him through his word in obedience to him through prayer? Will you follow him as your path toward peace? Will you believe in him alone as your promised peace? This promise here fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the joy of celebrating it this season Will you believe in him as your promised peace? You see, God in Jesus Christ came to earth as fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life of perfect peace and trust in God the Father. And he went to the cross in my place. He went to the cross in your place. He went to the cross for us to die, to pay a debt that we could never pay, never be good enough, he lived a sinless life and died a death he didn't deserve to pay the death that I deserve. And he didn't stay dead. He, the, the penalty for my sin was paid. Yes, I'm forgiven, but he rose again victorious over death and his life is the righteousness that I can call mine. If you believe in him, church, if you believe in him, his righteousness can be in your place and God views you through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not only can we be forgiven of sin, we can be righteous before God if you call on his name. If we repent of our sins, confess him as Lord. If you don't have that peace, will you come to him today? If you don't have that peace, I would love to talk to you after the service about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. If you don't have that peace, talk to the person who brought you today and they would love to share. I'm sure of it. They would love to share what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Loved ones, this is the message of Christmas. This is Jesus. Peace is only found in him. So trust in him alone for it. Jesus has come to bring us peace. That's why he came. How will you prepare your heart to celebrate? You see, he has come and he is coming again soon. Church, let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are our wonderful, supernatural counselor. Lord, you, you give us your peace. You are mighty God mighty over, over, over anything that comes against peace, mighty over rulers and conflicts of this world. You are our everlasting father. 
you guide us. You are with us. You always were, always are, always will be. You are the prince of peace. You are the royal presence of peace. And of the increase of your government and of peace, there will be no end. Lord, times may seem very dark around us, but we can know in you, we can know that you win the battle. You are victorious. You are our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would celebrate you in peace this season. In your name, amen.